Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by StravaCraft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 and you will get 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD infused, deliciously rich, potentially life altering StravaCraft coffee. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always, is beat writer Patrick Lyons. And we have got to discuss for you on this episode the most complete win of the Colorado Rockies season thus far. An 8-3 victory over the Oakland A's in Oakland. Uh, Really good stuff pretty much all the way around. You got five solid innings out of Antonio Senzatella. More great stuff from the bullpen. Everybody on the offense got in on the action. And the big shot from, I'm just coming out right up front and doing this one right away, Patrick. I'm calling it. Uh, When you get a monster jam like that from Sam Hilliard, the kid, picking up a little bit where he left off from last season, but also maybe erasing the feeling of the offer in that first set with the Rangers goes not just yard, I believe he went yagoinkles on that one, uh, the technical term I believe it was. My pick for the draft king of the game, Sam Hilliard getting the party started. He would absolutely be the king, besides the fact that that two-run home run put them up 3-1, a lead from which they they would not give up, obviously, uh, throughout the evening. But the importance of what that did uh, not just for him, but it was something that he did for the entire bottom of that lineup, those young left-handed right. hitters. They were 0 for 23 coming into the game, and Ryan McMahon struck out in his first at-bat. Ryan Maltapia struck out in his first at-bat. And then Sam Hilliard goes and takes care of that in, in their second plate appearance. So I think that really kind of shifted things from there. And overall, I think that uh, trifecta of, of youngsters when something like, if you throw Tony Walters in there, uh, they went 7 for 17. So they absolutely had a day when they needed it. They responded to that. I was That was much of the talk of Twitter today was was that idea that, you know, you know how much you know rope do you give those young guys and whatnot. But bottom line is uh, Sam Hilliard definitely was the king of the game for what he was able to do in that fourth inning with that 398-foot blast off A starter Daniel Mengden. Yeah, that ballpark feels way bigger than it actually is, right? Didn't it feel like it traveled like 700 feet? And they're like 398, you're like, whatever. Because it, it it felt like he got all of it. Yeah, it was a hanger. You know, I saw some people saying, what an awful pitch. We've talked about this a little bit before, that it can still be a tough pitch to hit if you don't know that it's coming. But also, uh, you got to give credit to the hitter in that situation as well, although no. Not a good pitch in that situation. It also is the product of the other thing that's been the major theme of the season so far. The number of pitches the Colorado Rockies are seeing early in games. They continue to do it today as an offense, Patrick. It it took it a while for it to break through there in Texas, but it really broke through for them here today in a number of ways, right? You saw it whether it means you know you wait for the one time where the guy does hang it and then you got to hit that pitch and they finally did in this one with Hilliard getting it or getting into the bullpen with a guy who's coming out here in Weems making his debut throwing some gas quite frankly but 
you know, maybe not quite ready to hang in there for multiple innings against a lineup of this caliber. Rockies were able to hang a couple on him, all a part of their renewed commitment to seeing a ton of pitches, being patient at the plate. Yeah, Oakland didn't have the luxury of an off day on Monday. So they had a game against the A's. They will have an off day on Thursday, but anytime you can go into the other team's bullpen for five innings uh, and you're going to have a short turnaround because we're going to have a, a, a day game tomorrow. It'll, it'll get started at one forty mountain standard time there. So again, it's just doing those little things well, and we will be talking about it on the podcast. Uh, for those of you that didn't get a chance to see our uh, live chat, but uh, one of the things that was touched upon is the idea of, of what the, the pitchers uh, maybe need to do at home versus on the road. And we had talked about this on Monday's podcast about what the hitters are trying to do now, yes. being more patient. Because, yes, you could just absolutely obliterate the ball at Coors Field, even with a humidor. But the more, uh, I don't know, the, the, the more... Uh, overexcited and over overly ambitious that you are at home, the more of, of a split, if you will, uh, the more <laughs> the more difficult life is going to be for you on the right. road. So you know what you got to find that happy medium, and they're finding that happy medium now, and it's it's actually paying off for them in a really big way with three straight wins here, starting the season off three and one. Yeah, maybe it's not against you know the, some of the powerhouse teams of the AL West, but the A's are always a, a, a quality contender. They did have three games in Texas against three really good starting pitchers. They kind of caught a break against Corey Kluber there, um, but they're three and one and you have to like how they're looking so far. And with Herman Marquez going on the mound on Wednesday, you think, shoot, two game sweep, four and one to start the season. How about them Rockies? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're definitely in that spot. And not only that, but then you really do start to get running away with all of your small sample size fun conclusions like what Tommy is starting to do here. And I feel you, Tommy, now Now we might be running away with it early here, but he says, I believe the Rockies bullpen is going to be a top-tier pen. I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself, but Daniel Bard, Yancy Almonte, Iro Diaz, Carlos Estevez, and Wade Davis, wow. Uh, of course, that's before you even get to the potential return of the the presumed very soon return, I should say, of Scotty O. Exactly right, Chris. The Oberg, the Oberton. <laughs> you'll get it. You'll get it there in the comments. You'll get it right. But the, exactly right. And uh, somebody was saying in our Discord, uh, in the lounge chat while it was happening, Patrick, when Tyler Kinley made his season debut out there and his Rockies debut, just throwing some wicked stuff. And people are going, if this is their sixth inning guy, Boy, does this bullpen look world removed from what it was last year. Yeah, and, and this is before you potentially even add somebody at the trade deadline, which we saw them do in, in 2017 with Pat Neshek, 2018 with Sung Wan Oh, and that seemed to, to work out for the most part uh, towards the end of the season. So, yeah, again, it, it's it's only four four games, um, and while they pitched great, they haven't pitched like, oh my God, this is the greatest bullpen of all time. Just pitch like a really good bullpen and yeah. pitch like what what we think their potential really could be. You know, Kinley was a guy that, you know, the Rockies really pumped up. And when they picked him up at the 
uh, during the winter meetings in San Diego. He was a guy that they really had liked and had been following for a long time. And that just happens with some guys is, you know, you, you know what they are most capable of and maybe they're not getting that opportunity or it's just the wrong mix of coaches. And it takes until a guy hits 28, 29 before he can come into your organization and you finally have an opportunity to have him as your, say, seventh inning guy. Came in in the sixth today, came in a little early, uh, you know, it just, just looked really good. And again, it's it's just one or more of those promising things that you can look forward to and, and maybe say, wow, okay, this bullpen, let's, let's see it. I, I feel confident. And it could be any number of guys so far right now. Let's yeah. keep that momentum going. And, and, and Bud Black's absolutely going to be doing that uh, in the days and weeks ahead. And they got a, the week homestand coming up with San Diego starting on Friday, then four against uh, the Giants. So the bullpen will get a lot of opportunity at home to really test this medal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I like what we saw from Bud Black today, particularly leaving Daniel Bard out there for two innings again. And I think there's there's a lot to that one, you know, Let's get a bigger sample size. Let's see what he's living on here. Is it just a little bit of feeling good and good story and inspiration? Is it just that, hey, he's got his velo again and he's surprising some guys with 97, 98, even 99 at times? And what we saw again today was, no, it's not just that. He's got some pretty good location. The changeup is working well. The slider looks pretty good. And, and again, you don't know how long you can expect it, but it's, it's kind of like what you said about uh, the entire bullpen. You would almost feel worse if he was like coming out and striking out everybody. And yeah, uh, right. Like the fact that he's a, a couple of hits here and there, a couple of base runners. He gave up a run today. Didn't bother him. Didn't shake him. Just pitched through it and, and did well. Like that I think is almost a better sign. He's not on a hot streak. He's just pitching. Well, he is. And in that run, you know, uh, on, on, a, on a different day that might not happen you know that little dinker that uh i think it was mark canna had a little infield hit there it was a oops and then you have the wild pitch that you know right. rolled all the way down the left field line on tony walters i never seen right. him move so fast in my life to go after that ball that was impressive <laughs> go back and watch that he would not gonna let that run come in <laughs> wow eight that... to two he's scrambling like a running back that's the second time i've seen him like pounce with amazing speed and, and agility there yeah. that was pretty impressive and then you know and, and then after that I, I think it was just a, a ground ball to second base uh to mcmahon got the out run scored but again ho-hum who cares like there's there's absolute value in that you know i i, I don't want to give too many rockies fans any flashbacks from you know 2019 but there were those games in which um a, a certain veteran or two might have come in the game with with a five or six run lead and in a blink of an eye, that lead goes down to two runs, and now you've got a real ball game when it should have been much like Tuesday night's game. Just come in, do your job. If you give up a run, not a big deal, but only give up a run. And that's that was it. That was all the bullpen has, uh, did on Tuesday night. Now they've given up a total of a whopping, what, two earned runs now? Two. Two. And... and- and neither and one of them was mostly due to defensive indifference, and the other one, like you said, was an oopsie and a and a wild pitch. As much as it, they haven't been knocked around by any stretch of the imagination, they've not been hit hard yet. You know, so everybody out there, knock on wood. Now that we've said that, but certainly, uh, and then Estevez 
you know, with a, with a very comfortable lead there in the ninth, came out and just no, you know, no amount of stress on Buddy. That's your job in that point is to let your manager off the hook for not having to even think about getting anybody else up and just end it with no stress. Uh, so solid work there from Estevez, to be sure. He's pitching uh, all four. No, he's pitching three of the four games that's right. already. That's right. Workhorse. That's wild. He, yeah. he is, yeah. It's you know he he is obviously going to be that seventh eighth inning guy. Him and Jairo Diaz will probably be going back and forth. But again, you, you kind of start to to wonder like, well, you know, you've got a a five run lead. It's not a save situation, right? It's not not that big, but it is on the road. You kind of want like your backup closer in a sense, not your eighth inning guy, not Scott Oberg, not Jairo Diaz. But like a backup closer, where you say it's not a save situation, but let's let's get you three outs, let's go home, and let's let's celebrate responsibly. And yeah. like Carlos Estevez, like the Rockies have those guys now, and maybe it's Tyler Kinley, maybe it's Daniel Bard, maybe it's Yancey Almonte. They've got some guys with some potential. Yeah. It's it's only it is not a not a not a big track record yet here on 2020 but everything that you do see is enough to say hey something is going right and maybe this is again one of those momentum builders that you know happens when you start the season on the road and happens when the weather is warm and it's just you're you're jumping in midway through the season with a clean slate and man that slate is pretty darn clean yeah yeah it's it's it looking real good. I think I saw it's like a 132 ERA or something like that for mm. the Rockies bullpen so far, which again, small sample size and all that. I do want to talk a yeah. little bit more about the offense. And uh, since they were cracking the bats, that means we get to crack open a Breckenridge brew. You know, my favorite place to get it is down there at the farmhouse. Uh, I really do. I haven't been down there in a while because I haven't gone out to Denver. But once the team gets back into town, I'm going to be able to swing out that way. I'm going to call 303-803-1380 sometime between noon and 8. And then I will swing on by and pick it up using that code DNVR so that you get 5 bucks off both the food and the beer. Uh, maybe grabbing that Mile High City Copper Lager. Maybe grabbing that Mango Mosaic if I'm down there at the farmhouse. One of my favorites. Also, the 15-can sampler pack if you're not sure which one is for you. There is a Breck Brew for everybody, and it's usually Strawberry Sky. But I also <laughs> I do very much enjoy that Mile High City Copper Lager. If you're more of a traditional beer drinker, you want to sit back during the summer days with the ball game, throw a few back. That is definitely the way to go. And like I said, don't forget to use that promo code DNVR. They'll hook you up with five bucks off. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about the offense today, but it's also kind of tied into how it's moving forward. So this is an interesting question that we got here from Matt, uh, because I think it's really the first time this particular issue has been put in front of Bud Black. And so he says, who is your prediction for DH tomorrow afternoon for the last game of this first road trip? Anything big going on Friday, the Rockies uh, opening day at Coors Field. The second part, no, sadly, uh, there nope. just there just will not be anything big going on. And that's we, we might have something at the you know, we might again have a uh, actually, I think we do. We will, uh, we will, yeah, we'll, we'll have something at the DNVR bar again. It might be RSVP, so you got to make sure that you um, call in and, and reserve early so you have a spot so that everyone is, is socially distanced properly, but you've got a booth for yourself. 
to watch, relax, get some good food. So there will be that. Uh, other, otherwise, no, there will be nothing. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, but to the first part of your question, uh, I, I think this is really interesting because I do think that um, the answer is not necessarily evident yet in anything that Bud Black has done. Who's going to DH in this final game? The first time he had this uh, like day game, final game of a set situation in front of him, uh, he, he went with uh, Charlie Blackman DHing and he put Ryan Maltapia out there into the field. Um, I don't know if that's if he wants to establish early that that's just going to be the standard. Uh, if he's going to go with Daniel Murphy as a DH and slide McMahon over to first base, which we've seen, but only in the event to get right-handed hitters into the lineup against a lefty pitcher, which will not be uh, an option for the Rockies tomorrow. So I don't know. It's it's really, it's between those two things. And we'll see, you know, whether or not Buddy feels like getting Hampson a little more playing time after he's been sitting for, for a minute is the most important thing. If it's uh, the defense, if it's given Tapia a day, who, who needs to stay in, who needs to go up, it, it starts now. Yeah, I asked Buddy before the game today about, you know, the player usage, and it's obviously pretty, you know, too early in the season, and it's too broad of a question to to find out if he's managing the games any differently, and ultimately he's he's not, but I, I think we're we're starting to see a little bit more urgency. We're not seeing certain behaviors like, all right, it's the fourth game of the season. Let me at least get this guy in as a late defensive replacement. It's going to be no harm, no foul. It's very much like, no, I want my best team to be on the field and at the plate for every single pitch, period. And we're we're starting to see that. And in the bullpen, again, you have to work those guys in. So uh, we're seeing some, you know, some some usage of, of all of the guys getting that opportunity, but that's also because you're not sure who the right guy is, and and you know they're all kind of neck and neck. I mean, Yancy Almonte's look just as good as Daniel Bard, and Daniel Bard looks just as good as the closer Wade Davis, and Wade Davis right. on Sunday looked just as good as last year's closer Jairo Diaz and Carlos Estevez. So I mean, you've got these guys that are really just neck and neck and neck, and it's a matter of well, look, it's it, Half a you know six of one, half a dozen of the other. Any of these guys I go to right now in the seventh inning, I feel really confident in. They're all of them are very competent. So he's going that route. But when it comes to the lineup and and who he's putting out in the field, you know, again we have a small sample size, but it very much seems like you know what I got to keep going with the with the hot hand. And we're not seeing Hampson in the outfield instead of Blackman. Blackman's in there all nine innings. Made a nice yeah. defensive play today. Actually, it really came over and cut a ball off in the gap, turned, fired it in a second. That it's a double a lot of times, and it looks like he's getting more comfortable playing right field. Also, probably that he's far more rested than he normally would be at the end of July, and there were there have been off days, and so it'll be interesting to see how the season wears on him. But for now, he doesn't look like a defensive liability, and so. You don't need to get him out of there. And then, you know, Tapia had an O for coming in. So you go, well, maybe you give Tap a day. Uh, You know, it it would be weird. But just to get Hampson in there um, and not marry yourself to this idea of 
all lefties against the right-handed pitcher. And then Tap goes out and throws out a couple of hits. And you go, well, shoot, well, you might want to leave him in there to see if he can stay hot because you're going to need that guy. But you can't keep Hampson on your bench forever. This is a really good problem to have, by the way. This is it, when you start feeling good about the guys on your team. It is. And I don't, I don't think Bud Black is a tinkerer. I don't think he he tinkers uh, too much or even you know any for the most part you know I it you know wouldn't wouldn't shock me if you know at the the ninth inning we would have seen McMahon slide over to first base Owings in at second or Hampson in at second because the game plan is McMahon's going to start at first base on Wednesday and Murphy's going to DH so you know what one to get McMahon a little bit of exposure to get ready for tomorrow now that would be some minor tinkering but you go well that makes all the sense in the world no we're not seeing that we're, we're just seeing look you're going from inning one to inning nine and here's how we're doing it we also have the, the issue of you know it, it being so late in the season and yet these guys they don't you know have their legs underneath them like they would normally Right, I don't yeah. mean that in any kind of bad way. It's just they they need those reps. They need to just be out there, and yeah. I think it's a matter of well, you know what? We're going to err on the side of Charlie Blackman being in the outfield for nine innings to get him ready because he is a guy that's going to have more of an impact. He is more valuable than having Garrett Hampson or Chris Owings, you know, stay sharp off the bench. They they yeah. need to do that. But you can still stay sharp off the bench, and you can still be productive, not getting those starts, you know, all that frequently because there are so many left-handed guys in the lineup. So yeah. I think it just is what it is, and it's. I don't think there's going to be any, um, you know, any 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 platooning in that sense, or any 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 share of the playing time. If there's a righty on the mound, ride those left-handers for a while, and if, yeah. if they need an off day, give them an off day. That seemed like it, that might have been the case for Wednesday, but nope, they all got hits. They were all very productive at the plate. They looked good, and so Send roll them, them out there out. again. That's right. hundred percent. Roll them back out there again. You'll worry about getting those righty, utility, speed defense guys in there when you can get them in there. We haven't seen Josh Fuentes at all, and you nope. know, I Elias Diaz. That, right. Um, and, and, and it's just, you know, they'll they'll get their chances eventually. But, yeah, you got you got to ride with these guys. And when that lefty shows up, then you still got to put them in there and expect them to produce. And that's tough. And we'll talk about it when it happens. But that's just that's just the way to go. And look, the uh, the odds are, are rising on your Colorado Rockies they are looking good. If you're feeling good about them, now might be the time to download that DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use that code DNVR because they'll hook you up with a sign up bonus of up to a thousand bucks if you're feeling it man or you feel like you know somebody out there's in a groove somebody here you're you're liking where the rockets are at maybe that trevor story run thing you see him taking some pitches getting on base that we talked about that before the season nolan arenado with a little sack fly there early on his first rbi of the season but showing you again his ability to get them when they count and you know he's going to do more than just hit solid fly balls into left field in order to drive in runs for, uh, throughout this season. So if whatever you might be feeling confident about out there, now's a good time to put your money where your mouth is, get a little bit of skin in the game. I know they got some really fun 
uh, slam dunk offers going on right now in the NBA with them getting all set up in their uh, bubble down there in Orlando. So if you're also a little unsure about Major League Baseball right now, but you feel pretty good about the NBA and the bubble or anything from golf to MMA, you can bet on just about anything. I believe table tennis was a. <laughs> I was, was going to say. Are you going to jump in? Table <laughs> tennis is real big right now, so get it on the ground sco- ground floor, so you know who wins in the in the Yevgeny Nivlitsky uh, matchup against uh, some other Russian name that I Karelsky, can't make up off the top of my head. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, that table tennis stuff, we are not making that up. <laughs> that's that's a very real thing. Hopefully, very soon, you'll be able to bet on rugby as well. That'll be fun. We'll have to yeah. figure out what the what the lines are on that and how all that stuff works and, and what the over-under expect. Because the scoring can get great. Like, a rugby game can get out of hand in a hurry. Um, but they typically don't. So it's, I guess it's kind of like baseball in that way. Where they can be, t- they can be very, very close. But we kind of saw it today, where the game started to get away from the A's, and then was gonna, ah, shoot, well, we'll try to get them tomorrow. <laughs> it just it can just kind of happen, right? But yeah, may, as a, as I was saying, I think this was the point of this entire rant that if you're feeling confident about any of these things, then the DraftKings Sportsbook app is the way to go. Download it now. Use that code DNVR to get that sign up bonus of up to a thousand bucks must be 21 or older colorado only uh, other terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details and if you have a gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 change that last part on me a little bit <laughs> hey <laughs> all right so uh we've gotten this far and i don't know how we did it patrick considering all of the fuss and hoopla we made in the off season and, and leading up to the season about the fourth man in the rotation for your Colorado Rockies, but we hadn't mentioned him yet. Antonio Senzatella. That was interesting. Uh, okay. All right. A couple. Uh, so uh, an inefficient five inning two run start. You'll take it more often than not out of Senzatella, you worry that the two innings where he's throw one where he went over 30 pitches in the first uh, and loaded the bases, and then in the third threw close to 30 pitches, that another 20-plus, what was it? 29. 29. Um, you don't like that. there, And it it's difficult to get around. But what I, I tried to mention on Twitter was a year ago, and there's a ton of stats that bear this out, Senzatella is one of the worst in the league at getting strikeouts and just at getting swings and misses in general. He didn't have the stuff to escape those jams. And in game one against the Oakland A's, he did. He busted out 97 every once in a while, got Matt Olson on high cheese up and away. Uh, he broke out some curveballs and some sliders that he just did not. And we've talked about it all offseason. We talked about spring training, the different grip, the different mechanics. Was it going to show itself in the game? And then he comes out and there's so much on the surface to be frustrated about. You forget that the fundamentals of what has changed about Antonio Senzatella was very much on display in his first outing of 2020. Yeah. For anyone that hadn't you know seen any video or, or photographs of Senzatella, he's obviously lost 
you know, a decent amount of, of weight. You know, you could see it in his body. You definitely can see it in his face. And I, I think that's just going to uh, allow him to feel more athletic for, you know, a long season, but particularly uh, this shortened season, it's just going to have him feeling all that, you know, much more sharper. And, you know, his next start will be against the Giants. So you kind of like that, that, you know, uh, it's a lineup that, that lacks punch and, and it, and it, it, it maybe hides. They got Hunter Pence batting cleanup. <laughs> pretty much. Um, and, and Brandon Crawford, you know, batting like seventh. So I don't know who's batting fifth and sixth. It's crazy. But they made up the guys batting. <laughs> so I was they're, reading the lineup. I was like, who in the what? Are they create? They're creative characters. I think right. quite possibly. I think that's uh, right. I would have guessed that about Jordan Weems when I when I saw him step out. Same and Megan, especially you know? with the hair. I yeah. When they came, out, I was like, no, the A's are just making like these are recycled players from old A's teams in the eighties. Like these aren't real guys, not yeah. real players. That but you know so so Senzatella will be be facing the Giants, and I think that's just. Ultimately, it's going to hide some of the cracks, but that's again that can be a good thing, you know. If if a guy just doesn't has have his best stuff, you can say, "Hey, you did a good job." Pat on your back, you know. You kept us in the game. It was sort of a pseudo quality start. I know six innings, three runs is is that definition of a quality start. But in in twenty twenty, when guys are really only going through the order two times, if you can get five innings and you only give up two runs, you did your job. Now it's up to the bullpen to do the rest, and hopefully they only give up two runs or less. And you're going to win a lot of ball games with that recipe. Right. And you know, and Senzatella did that again. He was able to work out of those jams. There weren't weren't those big innings. He just gave up a, a run and two separate innings. Got a double play. You know, that was really big. That Nolan ended up starting. Um, weren't too many defense, big defensive plays, but you know, from a you know statistical standpoint, that was the big one. That kind of you know, ended his outing in the fifth inning. That right. was really huge. So could could clean a lot of things up with six hits and three walks. But again, he made big pitches when they were most important. I don't think you can count on him doing that all the time because you're not going to get away with some of that against some of these better hitting lineups. But all in all, you know, thumbs up to Tony, Antonio Senzatella tonight. Yeah, the, the big thing that I think will be interesting to watch as he goes through this is him trying to find that balance. I, I, somebody hit me up on Twitter, or maybe he's even in our Discord, and said, you know, he's got to pitch a little more to contact, man. And I was like, that's that's actually kind of hilarious, because I don't disagree with you, but Senzatella's problem for the first three years of his career was he pitched too much to contact. And he, and he embraced it, and he admitted it, and there were times that, and you saw what it was. It was basically a 50-50 proposition for Sensatella when he went out there. If he was getting those good rollovers, if he was really living on the edges that day and pitching a contact, you got to win out of Sensatella. That's why his career is basically 50-50, despite the weird uh, you know, ups and downs in his numbers. But he's tried to add this element to his game, the swing and miss element to his game. And you saw both the good and bad of that tonight. He got swings and misses when he needed them, when he never would have got them before with guys on base, and that that's huge. Uh, but it also ran his pitch count way, way up. And guys who aren't used to pitching for the swing and miss and throwing that, like, I can't remember. I want to say it was the third inning that, that started to get away from him, but the very first pitch he threw, either the first or second hitter, was a slider that was just gorgeous. Just like 
hanging on a wall perfect, but it ended just out of the zone, kind of where you wanted it, just low and away from the right-handed hitter. And whoever was up there, maybe Chapman, just spit on the thing, just took it, and it's ball one. And for a guy who's used to pitching to contact, that's so frustrating. And uh, it, it's tough to, to find that balance. So it'll be very interesting to watch Sensatella and see, can he go back and forth between those things? He's had to get away from this pitch to contact mentality and be like, I, I've got to try to get guys to swing through my pitches. You got way more of that tonight. But you, you can't throw 30 pitches an inning twice. <laughs> you yeah. you got to find that balance. Yeah, I, I thought he, there are moments where um, he was working with a changeup there that looked really solid. And again, that's hitting is all about timing. Pitching is about messing up that timing. So, you know, again, if, if, if Senzatella is able to maybe lean on that pitch a little bit more, you're going to get, you know, Swing and misses a, a lot more frequently. Yeah, you're gonna have your contact too, but uh, as long as you're, you know, you're 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 spotting up that those pitches where you want it to be, you're gonna induce weak contact, or you're just gonna get guys to chase when you set them up with that slider, like you said uh, to Marcus Simeon. I think that was to start the uh, third inning, and you know, he's a veteran guy, but ultimately was was able to um, get him to to fly out to Hilliard in, in left field in that at bat before it started to you know to to unravel a little bit for him but brought it back you know it's 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 interesting we talked about the Rockies having patience um we didn't see the Rangers do that there were I think it might have been Saturday right. and Sunday start where you know they could have had Freeland on the ropes and maybe he you know he wasn't on the ropes but he was getting backed up a little bit and then they had like a six pitch inning a nine pitch inning and that happened with Senzatella after 31 pitches in the first Nine pitches in the second, 29 right. in the third, six, six pitches. If the bottom of the lineup up, just take some pitches, guys. Yeah, um, let them off the hook. We talked about that on the other side of it, right? With the Rockies, yeah. one right. of the things we said that's difficult about this philosophy is you have to stick to it. And that if somebody's going to swing at the first pitch, that means the guy before him and after him can't. You just can't. And the A's got away from that, right? They w they weren't taking a team offensive approach, and the Colorado Rockies through the first four or five. Uh, how many? How many games? What, what, how many games? I'm already lost here. <laughs> uh, through the first. True, game, true, uh, true. Uh, We're recording this on the evening uh -oh, of July twenty eighth. Yeah. So obviously they've only played four games. You know, because this yeah. is how we've done it for yeah. every year for hundred and fifty years, Drew. This is true. <laughs> Just the most interesting <laughs> thing that we're living through, isn't it? Uh, but yes, yes, through these games, uh, they have been 100% committed to that philosophy, to a man, everybody up there at the plate. We saw another couple of great at-bats out of Tony Walters from the ninth spot today, including a big RBI double down the right field line, all of it. Everyone's going up there, taking pitches, waiting for that mistake, driving up the counts. Um, it's really a thing of beauty to, to behold. And you you just hope that when they get back to that Coors Field and the temptation of letting it fly, that they maintain this approach. For sure. Yeah, that this will be the true test. And, you know, man, if they can, they can go to four and one after tomorrow's matinee, I mean, that 
would just that would be fantastic for you know besides the fact that they're going against NL West teams, which which is is obviously huge, especially the Padres right now who are four and one as of Tuesday night. So hey, that's a that's a first place marquee matchup now uh, with a win for the Rockies on Thursday. And so yeah, it's it's, it's going against those rivals in, in in the division, but it's also now what are you going to do at Coors Field? Right. How are you going to pitch? John Gray is going to get two starts at Coors, and I think it should line up for Kyle Freeland to also get that final uh, day game. So it actually would start uh, the day game uh, against San Francisco. So yeah. you know those guys are at a at a disadvantage in a sense, but again. It's not about the stat lines, and, and Freeland has talked about that. It, it just has to be about keeping your team into the game. And if the starters can just embrace this idea of like, look, just get through five innings, you'll be fine. And as long as the bullpen bullpen holds on to do what it, it's doing, and Herman Marquez can give the the bullpen another off day whenever he goes, you know, they're they're going to be all right. But that's why they play the games, as Bud likes to say, because right. we don't know. It's 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 all easy to surmise and to say, oh, this is going to continue to happen and keep rolling. Uh, we know it's not, but you know what? It's fun to think about what if it does continue. Maybe mm. the it's 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 Tuesday night. It's Wednesday, right? Mm. Depending on, on where you're at, mm. it's Wednesday. The Rockies could still go fifty nine and one after they that could. tweet on it's Friday on that. And right after everyone on Friday goes, hey, you'll be fifty nine and one, right? Yeah, hey, you know, yeah, you, but you know what, Drew? You'll be fifty nine and one. Fifty nine and one. Guess what? I mean, no. Three but... four days later, <laughs> hey, didn't I say fifty nine and one? Technically, it's technically on the table. It is. It is. It is technically. But I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, folks. It looks like a pretty darn good ball club. So stick with us through the rest of this summer. Uh, if you're listening here on the live, then we're about to sign off for the evening and bid you adieu. We will be back tomorrow for the afternoon game. Right afterwards, we'll be doing the full live show for you. If you're listening in on the podcast, then stay tuned for some thoughts on a few other bits of news for the day and our conversation on what Brian Shaw had to say about pitching at Coors Field and Altitude. You definitely don't want to miss out on that. Otherwise, thanks everyone for hanging out. See you next time. All right, Patrick, there is news out there in the world of baseball that we have to discuss. A few non-Rockies things that we want to talk about because they may very quickly become Rockies things. It's hard to know what's going to stay in its own little corner of our universe today. But first, Boy, do I have some thoughts on something from uh, an old friend that I wanted to get into uh, before it just passed into the ether of the 24-hour news cycle and we totally forgot about it. Because there are so many different angles to this story that I'm sure you saw out there. Uh, Brian Shaw reportedly. Now, (laughs) how do I even begin here? Because even even the headline that's been out there and... Patrick Saunders is a friend and and the Denver Post does their thing and they're an an institution um, of our city and and one I'm damned proud of. Uh, But the headline, I feel, in this case was a little bit misleading and it was Brian Shaw blames Coors Field and Altitude for his struggles. Um, Spicy stuff. 
very, very spicy stuff. Um, now, if you read the actual quotes, you saw that Br- Brian Shaw did not at any point say, hey, I was bad and it's all Coors Field's fault and Coors Field ruined my career. He didn't say anything like that. He talked very specifically about how pitching there and trying to throw his slider became particularly difficult. Uh, The movement being different for him as a pitcher who's based entirely on movement, uh, that he found that to be troublesome. So, Patrick, I I wanted to get some of your thoughts on this too, but then I wanted to respond to uh, what I feel are the vast majority of the responses to this Brian Shaw thing. Uh, I figure you'll probably tackle some of them in your initial responses here. Uh, But I I wanted to let you uh, have first shot at this thing before I go on what is likely to be a a little bit of a rant here. A diatribe, if you will, right? Yeah, Yeah, I think the headline probably was a a bit misleading because it does make you think that Brian Shaw maybe has not taken ownership over his two years with the Colorado Rockies. But again, when you go on and read the quotes, you actually see that, you know, he was not really speaking ill of, of Coors Field or the Rockies organization or anything like that. Just simply saying, man, we tried to do a lot of different things. And he said, we in it many times, he didn't say the Rockies staff, which I'm no longer a part of. So it really is them. He said, we, it was all a part of this thing. Um, you know, had had worked together towards a, a common goal, and ultimately, I, I my best pitch and and the most effective pitch that makes me me was not there for me. And we tried to figure out different ways and different solutions. Shaw was one of those guys who last off season in the 2018-19 off season started going to drive line uh, with several other members of the organization. So, you know, he was all for trying to solve this thing and would have continued to do that in 2020, try to figure out a way to get the best out of Brian Shaw under these conditions. As it were, the Rockies cut bait with him. And naturally, someone immediately jumped up and said, yeah, we would love to sign you, particularly since Seattle was a team that had a lot of interest in Colorado. And in fact, I think that was the place that Brian and his family wanted to go, but all things considered, when you're a when you're a reliever and a guy who really only has one crack at free agency, if another team jumps up and and offers even just a little bit more, an extra three, the difference between twenty four million and twenty three million dollars is is over ten percent. Like that's a that's a decent amount. It's twelve and a half percent. So you know, Seattle was the fit he wanted to go with, but. Again, doing right by his family, he, he went to Colorado and assumed everything would work out right. And I think for a lot of people, it, it does work out right. And you know, he would, he would have done it 10 out of 10 times again, and so would most other players, taking the deal that was just better for his family's future. Because really, what is the difference between being a Mariner and being a Rockies player? We might know a little bit of the differences, and, and I know fans would have a lot to say about those differences, but ultimately when you're a player, you just want to be a, you're, want to be a part of a successful franchise that has some opportunities to, to go to the postseason and go deep. And both of these teams feel like I am one of those missing pieces. This team is going to offer me more. Well, shoot, I'd be a fool to not take that. So getting back to your, to your, your main question there, you know, it was, it was a lot of much ado about nothing. I, I don't think Shaw really harbors any ill will because the Rockies organization um, 
did not you know do this to his career, did not derail his career in this way. Coors Field is not any kind of event horizon type spacecraft that's haunted and forces uh, this uh, thing that prevents pitchers from doing their best and, and derailing their careers. It's, it's not any kind of haunted stadium like that. It just is what it is, and I think Brian Shaw gets that, and ultimately it seems that's all he was saying. I what think say right you, Mr. Creaseman? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what say you? Uh, well put. I think that, that you've done a, a great job of laying the foundation here, making sure we've got all of our ducks in a row and understand sure. that what the conversation is about. I think what the meta conversation is about is what uh, I want to remind people of. I have to be careful not to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to people out here now, but I feel like all of us in the Rockies community, whether you're a fan, a journalist, people are, who are particularly interested in this team and in the Coors Field question need to be careful to completely dismiss what Brian Shaw is saying. And I have seen a lot of this um, in particular ways coming from, it doesn't matter where they're coming from. I'll just put it that way. There are a lot of misnomers about what Coors Field is, what it does, and how legitimate of a quote unquote excuse it is for your performance. Furthermore, even if your position is, I want to dunk as hard as I can on Brian Shaw right now, which seems to be, I'd say, the 90% majority position. I think recognizing, if you want to take it to its worst conclusion from that angle, that Brian Shaw is or was fundamentally incapable of handling Coors Field, if you want to think of it that way, it should be understood then when you look at other Colorado Rockies moves, acquisitions, deacquisitions, that you can't just look at a set of numbers on a piece of paper and say, so-and-so ought to be brought in to Coors Field. Because the numbers on a piece of paper for Brian Shaw before he arrived at Coors Field were remarkably consistent and incredibly promising. And... So to dismiss the notion that Coors Field may have, to use a phrase that was oft applied to Jeremy Guthrie, gotten in his head, when you dismiss that out of hand and say, no, dude, you're just a bad pitcher, you're, you're not recognizing a unique hurdle that this organization absolutely has to climb. Now, is it still a failure on their part that they didn't know that Brian Shaw would be the type of guy that would crumble under that pressure? Arguably so. You can definitely make that argument that they should be doing a better job after the the Jeremy Guthrie's and the Denny Nagels and the Mike Hamptons and all the guys we've seen come in here and Coors Field get into their head. But let us not dismiss the notion out of hand that, oh, no, 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 no. So I've seen this, right? Well, didn't stop Scott Oberg. It didn't stop Adam Adovino. I've seen a number of people bring up his name, and I kind of laugh a little bit at that one, Patrick, this notion that Adam Adovino was some grand conqueror of altitude who never at once struggled with Coors Field. 
Adam Adovino spoke to me personally many, many times about the struggles pitching at Coors and then going on the road and having his slider have four to five inches difference in its movement in those two places. And how do you handle that? And I'm going to get back to that with another element of it here. But Patrick, I, I wanted you to weigh in on this part of it because pitchers it's like when the Rockies were playing themselves and we talked about the false dichotomy Coors Field is a thing you have to overcome so deny that that Brian Shaw was able to overcome it for sure but when you point to like Scott Oberg in the last two years and you forget the two years before it or Adam Adovino his last year and you forget the year before it and you say well all these guys apparently had no problems no every single one of these guys knows exactly what Brian Shaw is talking about. I think this is something that in in the 28th season of the Colorado Rockies, it's something that we don't have answers to yet. It's something that the analytics department of the Colorado Rockies are really going to be the only ones that will ever be able to figure out why it is that some guys have more success than others, and and some of it obviously has to do with the players. We're not talking about Babe Ruth versus Pat Vileka, you know, giving him <laughs> a second shout out of the week. We're we're talking about two, you know, equal quality players of a Scott Oberg, Brian Shaw. Brian Shaw has a much better pedigree than Scott Oberg, right. yet Oberg is the one having success at Coors Field, and Shaw isn't. So it's really about the type of player. I should say it's 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 the 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 pitches that these guys throw, and that again, only an analytics department can figure out. You know what type of vertical, horizontal, diagonal movement, whatever it is, those answers haven't been figured out yet. And and it's probably a, a question that the other twenty nine teams haven't answered either. Like, well, how can you guarantee success and a future rate with a guy who throws this pitch and he's thrown this many innings? Is it more likely to create a Tommy John type situation? So it's right. these are questions that all of baseball is still trying to ask uh, answer. And maybe someday the Rockies will be able to figure out, um, you know, when they when they negotiate with a free agent, they get him in, do a physical, and then they, you know, take a look at the guy's, you know, spin rate and various elements that that make up this pitcher, or we can talk about the hitting side another day, but punch into their calculators and go, wow, this guy is still going to be impacted by Coors Field, but he's going to be okay. He's going to be that Ober category or even an Ottavino category of like, there's going to be a major difference. There can't not be a major difference between 5,000 feet and zero feet, but the impact will be minimal and we think this guy will be fine. Whereas this other player who's equally as talented, you know what? The details of, of how he pitches and the movement that he gets on certain off-speed pitches, etc., etc., actually suggest he might be more of a Mike Hampton or Brian Shaw or Jake McGee type, if you will. And until that data is at least fully well-known by the Rockies, and it's not yet, and again, it's not known really by any of the 30 teams, we're going to continue to go through this anytime the Rockies sign a free agent and to try to figure out is this actually a good fit? It's fine for the other 29 teams to ask that question, and they will probably very quickly be able to say yes, no, or maybe. The Rockies, it will be, we don't know until it's over yet. We won't know until the guy is gone, and we go, hey, how do we all feel about this, guys? Let's yeah, huddle up. Let's did huddle up. Was yeah. that good? No? Yeah. No? Okay, no. Yeah. yeah. We all decided that was yeah. bad. Uh, right. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and there's always going to be a mental component to it, too, the part you won't be able to measure. But you're right. At the very least, they've got to start to really nail down the analytics. And from what I understand, a lot of work has gone on recently. It should have been started years ago, but at least the work is going on now. So we'll, we'll see what comes of it. There's one last element, believe it or not, still of this thing that I wanted to talk about. And, and I just want to say up top, free pass. I didn't write down names. Okay. I'm not calling anybody out. I saw everyone do it and I'm not calling anybody out. We've all got to get out of this habit. Please. When people talk about Coors Field, I am begging you don't go straight to the splits ever. Stop doing that. There has to be a more nuanced conversation. The notion that Brian Shaw's problem wasn't Coors Field because he pitched well or pitched better <laughs> at Coors Field last year than he did on the road completely misses the point. And again, like I said, I'm letting everybody off the hook. I didn't write down any names. I saw everybody on Twitter. It's all fine. And I get where it comes from. It's the natural thing to do. Dude, if Coors is your issue, how come you better at Coors than you are out on the road? I know I've mentioned it several times and it's such a cheap self-plug, but that article I wrote with Chad Bettis uh, at the end of 2018, uh, go back and, and read that or, or to recount for you here. And as we said a moment ago, if your pitch moves four inches more on the road than it does at home, you might think, well, then you've got a huge advantage out on the road. Not necessarily, because you have far less control over the pitch if you don't know what it's going to do. I had a conversation specifically with John Gray when he changed the grip on his fastball because he was getting too much movement, too much run from right to left if you're watching on TV for a right-handed pitcher. What that did, essentially, was when he's trying to throw a fastball outside to a right-handed batter, it would run back over the middle of the plate. You want some movement. You want it to run back and catch the edge right there. But it was running three, four inches more than he wanted to. Movement on your fastball is good. Not when it runs it right to the middle of the plate, it's not. So if Brian Shaw is trying to throw a cutter that at Coors Field starts at the right Hander's back hip and cuts to the inside and just nips the edge. And then he goes to Atlanta and that pitch starts a little bit inside and ends up right down the middle of the plate. The fact that he got more movement is not a good thing. Coors Field, whether you're a hitter or a pitcher, you have to make adjustments that other people in baseball don't have to make. And some and that's going to lead to extreme splits. Sometimes it's on the road as opposed to at home. That doesn't mean that it's not still because of Coors Field. Patrick, did, did I explain that clearly? Yeah, no, I, I think so. I, I was trying to think of a metaphor uh, for it. Of, uh, I used to be a, a bowler. I, I was a two-sport athlete, baseball and bowling. They go hand-in-hand. Hand. If you're good at one, you're clearly going to be good at the other. Me and Mookie Betts, anyway. Hondo. And, and each lane kind of has their own different oiling system. I, I, so, you know, one day you're like, oh, I got to stand over here. Another day I need to put a little more English on my ball, a little more spin. I need to throw it to this board, right? Well, the other 29 teams, when they're playing at sea level, they are basically playing on the same lane. They know exactly what their ball is going to do every single time, and it doesn't change no matter what ballpark. It's going to be the same thing. But for the Colorado Rockies, it's as if they're bowling 
on one set of, of lanes with extra oil and they got to do this that, and the other to try to get any movement on their ball and then the next week they are somewhere else and they go wow you, i played great last week i was nearly perfect all right I, I bowled a 280 i was close i was one strike away and yet i got to forget everything that happened last week because now i got to do something different now i got to look and i need to throw a couple balls before i can even figure out what's working, what isn't. Now I need to stand over here and I need to do this. And it just it just changes everything from that week to week basis. And even though you know, hey, I'm getting more movement, I'm getting more tilt on 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 some of my off speed pitches, like John Gray said, you don't know how much yet. And you have to see it first. And right. you're noticing it in the bullpen, obviously, but it's still like, wow, how do I approach this differently and every time they go home every time they go on the road they have to approach things unlike any other team in major league baseball right john getting at i think what i'm talking about here says we don't like splits for the batters but like them for the pitching why and and that's a that's exactly right that's why i would implore people to remind like be aware of the splits allow them to be a part of the conversation but remember that coors field is not about hey when you're there it does X. Coors Field is all about the adjustments to and from. That's what it is. That's why I've tried to get away from calling it the hangover effect. We've, we've worked on the margin of error, uh, which I think makes it more clear that it goes both ways because it's not something that only affects the Rockies when they're at home. And it undercuts all of our arguments for Todd Helton and Larry Walker and Nolan Arenado for MVP and stuff like that when we say, oh, Brian Shaw, your problem wasn't Coors Field. It was just that you were bad. And also you were better at home than on the road, not realizing that trying to pitch in two different places like that might be part of the reason why a guy's ERA would have dramatically different splits one way or the other. It's about the adjustments, not just the environment you're in on that day. So we're talking kill the split or forget the split. Ooh. That might Ooh, be better. Manny's, Manny's got kill the win, so we may have to go to forget the split. Can we forget do it. hashtag forget the split? Forget, forget the it. Split, man. Forget, forget the split. It. Uh, all right. Uh, Mile High Mems wants to know, I know the sample size is small, but did pitching numbers from Mile High reveal uh, the same thing? Well, and and I, I don't know about that. I'd have to go back and do the research on the, you know, that's, now you're talking pre-humidor and a different stadium, and I wonder if we've got you know. Like, I imagine it would be much of the same because so. it's, it's just a variable of, of, of altitude and um, and the thickness of air and, and or thinness of air, I should say. But uh, I imagine it, it was much of the same. And in those first two years, it was just like, whoa, there's games being played. Cool. It, it didn't really matter what the win-loss record was. Didn't really matter who is who is playing each week. It was just. A party, and and now we're at a, at the point we're getting close to thirty years without a World Series championship, and it's all of these little things that stack up, right? Like who's having the success in the bullpen? Okay, who should be targeted for free agency? Because that's what we're getting to is all these little minor details. It's not good enough anymore to just be a, a, a part of the game to just be a, a cog in the wheel. Rockies now have somebody in Cooperstown. That wasn't good enough to just, you know, to be able to visit and to have a couple artifacts. Because let's face it, when I was there last summer, there were only a handful of artifacts. In fact, I took a photograph of every piece 
of memorabilia. <laughs> yes. Baseball. There was a lot of baseball. I don't know if you know this before 1993 and people value that a lot more because they weren't around to see it. So I, I could almost literally tell you there was about 20 pieces of artifacts for the Rockies and about 17 of them were in one case. All 30 teams got a case saying, all right, here's some memorabilia from the last couple of years. Most of it was just in that case. So it's, it's great that the Rockies are now on the board with one Hall of Famer. But in a lot of ways, it's like, okay, now you got to get past that next hurdle to win a World Series. And that's what we're trying to figure out here now is how do you do that? And, and how do you do that from a relief pitcher, a free agent standpoint, and kind of learning from those mistakes so that you can finally raise that trophy one day? Yeah, there was one thing that Brian Shaw that said that I totally forgot about, by the way, where he said, I, I do think, and there's legitimacy to this. He said, I think they got rid of me more for financial reasons and to make spots for some of the younger guys, which is true. You cost too much money and young guys need to play, but also you weren't pitching well, Brian. Let's, I mean, come on. You weren't, get, you weren't getting guys out in summer camp either. So that's, that is also a fact of the matter. Uh, well, you know, if you're listening to us live and, you know, if you're not, by the way, make sure you're subscribed to that YouTube channel. You click the bell icon so you never miss out when we go live. Sometimes it's mid-afternoon, 3 o'clock during the day. Sometimes it's right after the games. Oftentimes it's both, which is what we're doing today. So we are recording this just before the Oakland A's series. We will, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you'll already have heard our recap of the first game. But Patrick, of course... We're hoping that there will still be baseball, that we don't just have to get totally into rugby. Now, I'm getting into rugby. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go ahead. I'm 90% in, right? I'm going to go ahead and go down to Infinity Park. I'm going to check it out there in Glendale, especially because it has become the home of the uh, the official training center, I should say, of the men's and women's USA Eagles 15 teams, making Colorado the place to be for rugby. Very, very excited to get out there. I just hope it doesn't have to be a replacement. I hope that I get to enjoy rugby in its natural environment and, and <laughs> out there in the world that they're doing well, because other sports are indeed doing well. I, I hope that these rugby guys out in, at Infinity Park are following some of the same protocols as, as they return that the NHL and the NBA are. Not so sure we can hold up our own league as an example right now. Patrick. I think the I think the New Zealand All Blacks are doing great. Their training is going wonderfully. They don't really have to worry about too many protocols at all as, yeah. as one of the premier rugby teams of the world and in one of the premier healthy countries in the world as well for New yeah. Zealand that is. They're 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 doing fine. Uh the Miami Marlins on the other hand and really the the eastern seaboard of baseball right now going through some things. Now, we, we went through yesterday, and we're not going to rehash all of the stuff we had to say about the Marlins and Don Mattingly. Mm -hmm. uh, but now there is talk of completely reworking the schedule and having the Philly or the Yankees <laughs> go play the Orioles when the Marlins were going to we're We're really uh -huh. doing it. We're really going to do all for the Marlins. We're going to make way. Now, look, I know it's harsh and I know podcasts and live shows. And look, I'm not talking Radiohead guy. You all. Well, I'm a Radiohead guy. That's a different. You know, I'm not that dude. But we talked about how there were teams in European football, football. 
that had to get cut out. You can't cut. You, look, the rest of us are going to play. You guys didn't follow the rules. You didn't stay healthy. You're endangering everybody else around you. What's the commissioner waiting for? I mean, this the numbers went up again today, right? There were that many more people. And I know it's easy for me to say we don't do DNVR Marlins. Like, I, I get it. But what are we doing here? Why we're really going to move the schedule around and we're going to force the Yankees to play different teams and, the, and I guess the Orioles and as much as it were, you know, teams that are in it, teams that aren't, teams that haven't done anything wrong. We've all got to completely rework this situation so that the Marlins can figure their stuff out. Yeah, I think with some other sports, um, I don't want to overuse the, the phrase small sample size, but we, as you alluded to with the MLS playoffs, you know, they had a, a system in place where, look, if, if you weren't playing games from day one, then you can't move on to the later rounds, right, in, the, in their format and their system. Baseball is much longer. So uh, even in a shortened season, even in one-third of the season, it's still pretty damn long to think every day you wake up, there's going to be a baseball game there for you for two-plus months. I mean, that's one of the gifts and curse of this sport, and that's why we love it so much, you know? why it continues to break our hearts as they say that's right. That's right. and and so I, you could get away with with having a team just kind of sit idly by there the marlins are going to be shut down until at least sunday the the mayor of miami has come out and said that um he doesn't necessarily hope but he wants the team to make sure that they have proper quarantining so they've got some home games in early august and they would have to forego those games or play them at the the other team's ballpark we see toronto doing that with two different series so they're i think they're only getting 26 uh, of their 30 home games in buffalo so miami may have to do that too which you know begs the question if you know the the new york yankees or boston red sox want the marlins to come into their town or if the people of that town want those players coming in so it's it. There's just a lot of dominoes that seem to be falling. Uh, Yankees GM Brian Cashman said that it's it's not exactly day by day, but it is week by week, and so it's just something that's going to have to be reexamined. And you know, 1981 was the, the really the only season in which all teams didn't have the same general amount of games played. We mentioned this on a Monday's podcast that right. sometimes teams will only play 160, 161. Um, obviously, we know when they have a game 163, that means that team's playing more, but that's really just to break a tie between two teams. So in this case, it really just will be winning percentage. So it's strange to think that, okay, the Yankees are getting an advantage here because they get now get to play Baltimore twice. But I would argue it is an advantage because if they don't win both of those games, that means the, the split for those two games is... 500 winning percentage. So that's going to bring their winning percentage down. So they now have to win that game, though both of those games to kind of keep pace with what they're trying to do. So it's it's incredibly strange, you know, Philadelphia, we we have didn't have any new tests for the Phillies, but of course kind of monitoring that situation. So Marlins and uh Phillies will not have any games until um Friday at the earliest. Phillies yeah. Friday at the earliest, Miami will be early next week at the earliest and it's week to week it's still day to day but maybe yeah. it's week to week yeah yeah we're just gonna have to keep following it and and find out what happens but 
Yeah, again, as we said yesterday, you got to hope baseball gets this under control before it gets completely, completely out of control. We didn't get a chance to mention it yesterday, but one of the things that MLB wanted to do, and it was, again, bottom of the list of priorities, was they wanted to do a, they called it a two-team like free agent league. And it really wasn't a league. It was just, look, we want to have basically a 31st team of players in case oh, I don't know, the Marlins have 17 of their players come down with this and can't play for two weeks. We just need somebody to get inside that piece of laundry to keep the wheel moving along. So they were going to do this in Nashville. Uh, I think they were even going to possibly have some fans come out to those games. At least that's what the city of Nashville wanted to do at the time. And it would be basically quadruple-A players going out, you know, applying their trade, staying fresh so that if the Marlins, like in this situation, have – no catchers, they can go, all right, well, we're just going to kind of borrow those guys. It's just, it's, it's, it's like when you're building Legos and you've got this, <laughs> right. you go into that box of Legos or something you had it's built previously when you were a kid and you go, I'm just going to snap that piece off of that and just use this to keep it moving. There, there are two guys that the, the Marlins have claimed in the past 24 hours. And you got to say like, shoot, those poor guys. Oh, I got claimed. I'm not going to, you know, have to go to a satellite city and, Oh, there's a team that wants me? Who is it? Oh, the Marlins? Or as I'm now referring to them, the Miami guinea pigs. Because let's face it, that's what they are right now. They're just trying stuff. And Mile High Mems, I've seen a lot of people asking this question. And again, the caveat always should be applied. We are not doctors. We're, there, there are experts in this field. And we highly implore uh, that you seek them out and listen to them. But on the question, should baseball have gone to bubble formats, full lo- four locations? The one thing I'll say is I know it's different from the other sports. It's not as easy to do as it would be for the NBA and the NHL. And I do know that there was some pushback by uh, the players' union against it. But to me, the obvious big hurdle there was the only place that you can really do that, or the only places where you can really do that, were Arizona and Florida. Arizona and Florida were the two places that were the biggest hot spots, right, as the union and the league came to terms. And so there was just, you know, I, I ran into it. There's a political wall you run into there at that point, but there, there's no one to blame in, in baseball specifically for that. There were two states that have a viable opportunity that, that have warm weather and multiple facilities set up for people to play baseball every single day and for all the teams to be able to get it. They just, we can't do, there's, we can't do that in Colorado. You can't do it in Minnesota, uh, maybe New York, but again, another major hotspot and maybe California, another major hotspot. And those are your only options really. And so as Patrick and I have said sort of loosely and generally throughout this thing, if everyone had done their part, and done what they needed to do in the early stages, that would have been a possibility. Um, but these states were not safe enough and no no players were going to sign off on, on doing that. Yeah, you also have you know NHL and the NBA. They don't play every single game, every day. So you don't have every team every day. So you can stagger these games so you can have three or four each day. There are 15 games every day in MLB. Not literally because there are off days. But we're ultimately talking about, you know, five days a week where all 30 teams and 15 games are being played. Where can you do that? And even if you say, okay, let's just have pick four cities or four general locations. 
Texas was one of those because they've got two dome stadiums. They actually have three because I think Globe Life Park, the old stadium, you know, that old 25-year-old stadium, I think that's still there. I think that might be repurposed for uh, one of the colleges. Um, So you maybe you could have done that, but you have the issue of, like, where are all these players going to stay? Marley Rivera of ESPN just recently uh, had tweeted something out on Tuesday afternoon that she had talked to a lot of different you know, coaches and, and managers throughout the league. And one team was staying at a hotel that was hosting a wedding. There were a lot of people there, none of them socially distancing. I don't want to say naturally, but it may, obviously if it's a, it's a wedding, it's friends, it's family. So you now have, even within, you think each of those cities, each of the, the 15 cities that host a game on a day-to-day basis is like a little mini bubble. No, it's it's not. So... I, I don't it, know like how you would do that. Basketball and hockey teams are like 12 dudes. Um, yeah. I don't know what the NFL is going to do, but, you know. The NBA has more guys on the court with towels and squeegees than they do on the teams. <laughs> to be fair, yeah, the grounds... That's a fact. <laughs> there is, the grounds crew is big on MLB, but they can only have a 24-man roster. So it will forever be more on the team than on the grounds crew. <laughs> Look at you bringing the baseball stats. Totally true. 25, now 26-man roster <laughs> that you got to fly around on the team plane and staff and all this and play every day. So I, I don't know that the bubble ever would have been feasible unless those just places were a, a little better off. Uh, and Rockies Club, isn't that a question we'd all love to have the answer to? Do we see them finishing out the season and postseason? Oh, it's a podcast. No one can see that gesture. I apologize. Oh. So jo- join us for the live YouTube so you can Insert see the gestures. Gesture. you got to subscribe to the YouTube if you want to see that. I I don't know. <laughs> I probably would have I probably would have taken before the season. Uh, I would have said no, they're probably not going to finish the season. I mean, it's either there's if you don't have if you don't crown a World Series champion, it doesn't matter if it stops a week before the end of the season on September 20th or if it stops on October 20th and you're down to four teams right you have the ALCS and the NLCS yeah, it really right. doesn't matter right. when in that window and so if, if it's just was were we going to be able to play out a, a world series no I, I no there there's science is 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 fact or it's based upon fact not emotion um, not on the the, the, the creed or, or color of your skin or the character of your yada yada yakety schmackety, it's science. It's just that's it. it. Is, yeah, it, it is, is what it is. Yeah, it, it does not care for what we want to have happen. One thing yeah. I could see is baseball coming to some sort of panicky. All right, um, somebody asked earlier. I, I missed it as we're getting ready to sign off here. So sorry if I can't find your name. We'll. Will they play? Uh, uh, will it be a percentage? You know, will they just decide, hey, look, the season has to end. If there are four teams that have had no cases that have the top percentages, okay, you guys play you, you guys, play, there it is, my high mems, yeah. And then, you know, play a quick World Series before shutting it down. I can see them trying to rush in something like that rather than cancel it. But literally, like, if we've played 